Hello, I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN. This podcast is brought to you by RAIN Worldview, the premier digital publication for objective geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Find out how RAIN can help you stay ahead of global events at rainnetwork.com. How do we maximize reporting as a part of the underwriting process and then actually continuously monitor those companies once they become a client? Welcome to the Rain Insights podcast series. I'm Emily Donahue. In this episode of Cyber Survival, we're talking about cyber breaches. No, I'm not going to recite to you the latest statistics on how many breaches happen each year or how much damage they do. You already know that. And you likely have teams working to make sure your organization is prepared to prevent such a breach. But I am going to talk about cyber insurance. The insurance your business probably has in place in case of a breach. Today, our host and RAIN founder, David Lawrence, speaks to Terry Roberts, the founder and CEO of White Hawk Inc. They talk about why we need cyber insurance and how to make more effective underwriting models for it. Terry, uh, always a privilege and honor to have a, uh, an opportunity to speak with you. Um, and uh, for the purposes of the audience, uh, you'll be able to sort of see a brief bio, but Terry had an extraordinary and very distinguished career in the Intel community before uh, becoming the founder CEO of Whitehawk, which is one of the most innovative companies uh, promoting not only uh, solutions, but uh, I'll call it thought leadership around cybersecurity, cyber defense, and uh, the next, uh, the new and the next in terms of what people should be worried about and thinking about. So today's topic, Terry, I know is something that's very near and dear to you. And uh, why don't we just jump into it? Uh, the question of insurance and how companies might be able to protect themselves, what's missing in the marketplace, what exists in the marketplace, and what is the data showing us? So, David, always an honor to be with you. I know we're kindred spirits, and our mutual focus on global risk and how to identify and mitigate that risk effectively Um, I think is one of the biggest challenges today and has only grown, right, as a result of the past couple of years. My company in Whitehawk is really about identifying, prioritizing, and mitigating risks across businesses and organizations of all sizes continuously. And an underpinning of that is what is the cyber liability to these companies and organizations in our digital age? And so that's what I'm really excited to discuss with you. And I know you've been examining recent FBI statistics around um, cyber attacks. Um, I think we have a common definition of the FBI statistics as being, you know, the iceberg. Uh, just what's above the surface. There's a lot that does not go uh, reported or disclosed. Maybe you can uh, bring the audience up to date, at least in terms of what the FBI data is showing. 
Yeah, there's there's obviously uh, a large number of entities that do you know years in review regarding cyber events, cyber losses, cyber impacts. But I like the FBI IC3 report. Obviously, the last comprehensive one is from 2021. But because it's what's actually been reported, right? Um, And it's across all sectors. Ironically, in the ransomware department, it's healthcare, financial services, and information technology companies closely followed by critical manufacturing and government facilities. So those are the, the most targeted, right? But the impact total for what's reported is almost $7 billion. Um, and it includes business email uh, compromises of about $2.5 billion, uh, and then, you know, ransomware per average loss is $49 million. So I raise some of these statistics because, you know, can government organizations and listed companies and critical infrastructure be in a position of not having a comprehensive cyber liability insurance in place so that they have the resources that they need when they need to respond to these events. So let me state a truism, Terry, but I I think it um, particularly as we're in, um, we'll call it the fourth quarter of 2022, um, without question, the attacks have increased. The statistics you're citing to are trailing statistics. And because you started by talking about risk management, um, just to level set this, cyber is not a technology risk, okay? What we're dealing with is criminal behavior. The portals involve technology, remote access, virtual impunity for the actors. And uh, we're certainly seeing a significant geopolitical lens around these attacks. So as we talk about insurance, what just from a common definition, in many respects, uh, we're talking about insurance against geopolitical risk, criminal risk, the risk of fraud, the risk of, I'll, I'll refer to it as cyber terrorism, sabotage, theft, and obviously, um, you know, what I'll refer to as uh, the ability to extort or bribe uh, based upon confidential information that people don't want to see released into the public domain. So if that is the, I'll call it the cauldron of risks uh, represented by cyber, Can you give us an overview of sort of where things are in the insurance industry um, in terms of underwriting processes, as well as why so many companies are currently either uninsured or underinsured? Yeah, so David, I I started 
thinking about cyber liability insurance about a decade ago and started talking about it. And at that point in time, it was primarily a self-assessment. So it was just starting to mainstream. It was obvious that there was a need, but there really weren't smart underwriting approaches, nor, you know, the, the statistics and the reservoir of, of information of which they could base the liability, uh, uh, the underwriting of the liability policy on. So it was kind of a catch-22. And so literally, they were questionnaires. But when I looked at the questionnaires, 90% of all companies wouldn't have someone that would know how to answer the questions because, frankly, they were too technical. So you're doing a, an assessment that you're not getting good data from, right? Then when they started insuring companies, then obviously they started collecting data on events of their clients, right? So they started to, to grow insight into what was happening. The fallacy with that, though, is you're always looking back to known knowns and you're always looking at the current clients you have and you don't always have a representation across the different sectors, right? Because the different sectors are targeted for different reasons and have um, common risks across themselves, So now we've been entering an age in the last five years where we have risk outside, risk monitoring capabilities um, and tools that actually give you about a 70% view of a company's risks, vulnerabilities, maturity, and even in certain areas where they are compliant with their regulatory environment. And so we're in a new age of how do we maximize that type of reporting as a part of the underwriting process and then actually continuously monitor those companies once they become a client. And then I would add another piece, which is How are you sharing those insights so that they can mitigate the most critical risks that you're seeing through the monitoring? So in this case, insurance starts to become an enabler for resilience of their clients. And let me um, circle back and maybe summarize what I'm hearing you say, Terry is we now have the ability to make more informed decisions around the underwriting risk of a company, that that ability also lends itself to an advisory opportunity in terms of informing a company what their risk profile looks like. And we have the further opportunity, because this is not a static environment, the risk environment is not static, to update not only a company's profile, but also the measures that the company needs to take to mitigate or prevent the occurrence of such a risk. Am I, am I hearing that correctly? 
Yes, you. As usual, you are spot on. Um, I I really think we're at a flexion point, right? So there, with all of the growth in cyber events, then some companies, insurance companies, have had some major losses over how they were doing their underwriting previously. And the fact that they weren't engaged with their clients on enabling them to be more resilient. And I know that that seems like a burden, but not with the types of analytics and reporting that we have today that is very shareable. And also the partners, right, that they can work with. And I think the cost-benefit analysis, right, is the businesses are insured at the right level and they're getting more resilient over time. So the risk back to the insurer, right, is diminishing over time. And so I do think there's a return on investment in this approach not to mention to society as a whole. And uh, I want to take this a step further. And um, very often, you know, people see cyber as a technology problem and they say, look, I'm not particularly proficient um, in technology. But I can liken this back to the early days when there was no insurance for fire. And um, eventually there was a code of fire safety and eventually, you know, an insurance market grew once people could understand what the likelihood was of a particular event or contagion from another building, etc. And when you talk about the ability to monitor um, a particular company, I, I don't want to over, overly simplify this, Terry, but it's interesting that in the realm of auto insurance, many companies uh, are promoting uh, basically a device that monitors how people drive, how fast, how often they're hitting the brakes, how hard they're hitting the brakes, etc. And they're offering discounts for safe driving. Uh, obviously, they're you know, the data that comes in helps inform what the risk is of insuring a particular driver and the premiums. And again, what I'm sort of hearing you say is that uh, in this space, we now have sufficient analytics, data points, etc., where we can actually quantify the likelihood of an event, the magnitude of the event, and actually the ability to work with companies to either prevent or at the very least mitigate. Yeah, I love I love the automobile analogy because let's face it, through the partnership between the insurance companies and the automobile manufacturers and everything that we've learned across the decades, they've implemented um safety and security and performance, right, uh, technologies and improvements that have made it safer for everyone, right? And 
less costly <laughs> uh, to the insurance companies um, and beneficial to the drivers, right? Not to mention uh, prevention of loss of life. So this evolution, right, has done a great deal uh, to benefit all of us. And, and that's the kind of thing that I'd really like to see more of across the cyber arena is really insurance groups stepping beyond. Right now, they primarily invest in response capabilities. The problem with that is it's reactive. I'm talking more about what we can do to be preventative. And again, if you're only using your actuarial data to look at what's occurred in the past, as opposed to your analogy of, and again, this is not intrusive monitoring. I call it the satellite imagery of risk. It's an outside view of a business's IT infrastructure and data sets that now has advanced to this point of a 70-80% view. And so with these advances, what could we do together as, as an ecosystem, right, to have the impact of online crime and fraud cut in half, cut it, it, you know, get rid of all le- low-level online crime and fraud because the 90% of small to mid-sized businesses who don't have cyber expertise and won't have cyber expertise, they deserve to be protected. Okay, and I think I, I really, I don't want to get away from these points and I want to make sure um, that the audience is hearing you uh, because you've been what I refer to as a um, very much a public advocate, public advocate on behalf of the public, that not only are there opportunities to sort of uh, avail ourselves of insurance that is smartly underwritten and provides appropriate coverage, but the opportunity here is that as part of that process, for even companies that are under-resourced and that they could be in the healthcare space, they could be in the financial sector, the opportunity for them to avail themselves of expertise that would reside with insurance companies based upon their knowledge of the risk and their knowledge of measures that can mitigate, if not prevent, that that is the, the next stage, that is the opportunity that is actually available to the markets and has to be connected. Yeah, and guess what? It's all of our data, right? Every time one of these cyber events happens at a doctor's office, um, at a retail store, right? They're taking our data, so we all have a vested interest in this. This is, this is not just, you know, oh, I want businesses to be protected. It's that we're all intertwined 
because they all have our data. So in some of the recent events in Australia, where there's been a rash of uh, cyber breaches and cyber events, it's millions of people's personal data, right, that was taken because we weren't doing this type of monitoring. We weren't making them more resilient over time. And so their doors and windows were wide open. And there's, look, people, at least here in the U.S., are almost numb to the daily disclosures about breaches around credit cards, around hospitality, around health care, um, around various, you know, what I'll refer to as social platforms. And you're absolutely right. Uh, that's why we should all care. Um, and so let me, if I can't accelerate the conversation here, Terry, because the government, one of the big issues for the government, and they've been preaching this to the private sector, is that they need the data. They want full reporting. They want disclosures of events, etc. Companies are obviously reticent, I'll use that term, because they don't want adverse publicity. They don't want to face class action lawsuits. They don't want to face hearings. They don't want to face you know, what I'll refer to as reputational harm in the media. And just to... Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm constantly wondering why cyber is that different than other types of risks. So, for example, if you're buying a home and you're taking out a mortgage, you have to maintain insurance on the home. You cannot drive without insurance. Uh, the federal government has stepped up in flood zones to make insurance available. Not perfectly by any means, but nonetheless. And so, and, you know, part, part and parcel of uh, if anyone's ever had to file an insurance, you know, uh, claim for theft or whatever, one of the first questions they ask is, have you reported this to the police? And I, I, I think you're really on to what I'll refer to as, as something that could address a whole host of concerns which is the government has uh, stated it needs the data to help protect the private sector and broadly the national security um, concerns. Companies do not want to have these losses that are not covered by some form of insurance. Not every company can afford the resources of sophisticated either internal personnel or vendors. And that there is, I think, an, um, an opportunity for, I'll call it a win-win-win proposition, where companies and, as you said, the public can be better protected. Insurance companies can be smarter about their underwriting risks and therefore, you know, premiums go down, arguably. Um, in terms of the government needing to know about particular breaches, et cetera, if, if this is a um, insurable risk and, you know, there needs to be disclosure about these events, maybe that something can be appropriately balanced there. And as you're also indicating, because this is a fluid environment, 
the learning that will take place over time will in turn, you know, continue to inform all stakeholders about what the risks are and how they're evolving and, and what can be prevented, what perhaps cannot be stopped, but can certainly be mitigated, and obviously what can be responded to. Am I extrapolating your ideas properly here? Yes, I could not agree more. And so to kind of tie this with a bow is I, I and you, we would love to work with the insurance community, right, to leverage these new cutting-edge cyber risk monitoring technologies that are not intrusive, right, that are not um, gaining proprietary information. So unlike when you are sharing data on your networks with the government, that is intrusive. This is not. It's enabling, it's empowering, it's insightful, and it can be added to all of the other data sets that large insurance companies have so that they can insure the businesses smartly and more importantly, they can enable them to get uh, more resilient over time. And I mean in a few years, you could start seeing the impact and it's scalable, cost-effective. Um, and, and insurance has been in the forefront of helping different sectors. And I think this is one area where they should stop doing uh, just, you know, thought leadership and, you know, uh, having a government lead on their team and making some of the data, you know, available to their clients. No, this is this is more hand in glove with their business and government clients to make them more resilient in a cost effective way. All right, Terry, we're going to stop here, but not uh, without extracting a promise from you to come back to talk about some of these exciting technologies that are available. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and just to simplify this a little bit, I, I, what I'm, I'm just hearing you say that what we have done around fire insurance, hurricane insurance, driving insurance, personal liability insurance, umbrella policies, that what has been done in those spaces is doable here in cyber. And let's get on with it. Absolutely. Terry Roberts is the founder and CEO of Whitehawk Inc., the first online cybersecurity exchange. You can find out more at whitehawk.com. David Lawrence is the founder and chief collaboration officer of RAIN. And RAIN is the Risk Assistance Network and Exchange, a global risk intelligence company that provides risk and security professionals with access to critical insights, analysis, and support, enabling them to better anticipate, monitor, and respond to emerging risks and threats. Join the millions who are tapping into the collective wisdom of the world's largest community of risk and business professionals. Visit RAINNetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E Network.com. I'm Emily Donahue, and thank you for listening.